broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, kicking off hour number three of the show on this Friday. It's Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920, Demond Cotton, Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Your boy Q, I'm at the home studio right now. The question that I threw out there to you is taking the temperature of Raider Nation after two weeks of free agency. How are you feeling about the direction that the team is going, the free agents that the Raiders have signed? Are you starting to feel the vision? Or are you still a little bit upset? Because at one point, Raider Nation was very, very angry. So let us know, 69187, keyword R&R. This is our don'tbebroke.com text line. Of course, you can always tweet at us, at your boy Q254, at DeMond underscore the boss, and at R&R 920 AM. Just like formerly Al Jr. tweeted at us and said, Q, Everybody saying they cool with free agent signing so far are effing lying, period. Hashtag go Raiders. So there you go. Formerly Al Jr. hits us up and doesn't believe the hype. Thank you for the tweet, my man. I appreciate you. I appreciate your honesty. Joining us now on the phone lines from ESPN is our good friend Mike Clay. And, Mike, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We definitely appreciate you. And you you put out your latest guide, kind of ranking teams, ranking units, offense and defense. And before we really get into it and where the Raiders rank, what goes into this? Like, what is the formula? What are the different elements that go into play as you're putting this thing together? <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of elements to it. Uh, so, basically, in a nutshell, I go unit by unit through the league, you know, quarterback, running back, receiver, that kind of thing, and just rank them 1 to 32. So, uh, it depends on the position. You know, there's a lot of different metrics by position. You could look at QBR and, you know, completion rate over expected and PFF grades, whatever, whatever you uh, – whatever your poison is that you like to look at for each position. So I'll do that by, you know, each position, roll through it. Um, you know, and then uh, once I'm done, all of the positional units, I kind of weight it. You know, obviously running back isn't as important as quarterback. Uh, so I'll weigh it. I use a variety of uh, a variety of ways to do that, including salary distribution to each position, a little bit of common sense, that kind of thing, and then uh, kind of run the numbers and see which teams stand out. It's not the full picture. Nothing's perfect. There's no perfect metric, but – this has been a strategy I've used for years to kind of get a good idea where teams are strong and weak, and um, it helps kind of uh, you know project the league for the following season. Yeah, no, it does. It's a really good little metric, and I know my man DeMond does a really good job of kind of breaking it down and looking at it be- better than I even do. But uh, looking at the quarterback position, and the Raiders have a new one in Jimmy G now, and he had a 1.5 on your, on your unit scale, and obviously that's not very good. How much of that had to do with the fact that he's just an injury-prone quarterback? That There's just no denying that. Yeah, so I would say it's a little bit below average, right? Think about it like a GPA, right? So 1.5, it's like 4.0 to 0.1 is kind of the range with the with everyone ranked 1 to 32. So that puts him a little below average, um, roughly a top 20 quarterback. I think that's fair. You know, his uh, efficiency in some categories was excellent. You know, you look at like yards per attempt it with the 49ers, it was outstanding. Um, but we've seen that from some of the other quarterbacks in that offense. Brock Purdy obviously looked good there. We've seen successful play from, you know, C.J. Beathard and, and Nick Mullins and, and guys like that over the years. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he does away from that system. Um, you know, I looked at some other metrics like QBR and, and you know, PFF grade, things like that, accuracy rate, and he was kind of mid-pack or below average. So uh, I guess I'm hedging a little bit on him coming out of that offense and, and his conservative nature, but I'm, uh, I, I think we're all kind of fascinated to see what he looks like in Josh McDaniel's offense here 
with the Rangers. But again, I think it's kind of conservative to say he's a little bit of a below-average quarterback, and that's why I haven't filed in here. Yeah, and you know, the thing about it is what we've been hearing is, well, he's familiar with Josh McDaniels' offense, but it has been a while, Mike, and that's one of the things that I've been talking about is, hey, it's been a while since he's actually been with Josh McDaniels. How quickly do you think he can kind of get up to speed in in Coach McDaniels' system? Yeah, like you said, he has some background there. It's been a, it's been a minute, but I'm sure it's not drastically different. You know, he's a veteran quarterback. He's been through a few systems, so I'm not too worried about that. You know, he's the, the full off season. I re, obviously he signed a few weeks ago, so um, plenty of plenty of time to get up to speed for a guy that's you know in his early 30s and kind of knows his way around the NFL. So not worried about that. I'm more curious to see if he's a little more aggressive. You know, uh, you know, the Kyle Shanahan offense was built to be conservative and getting the ball in Debo Samuel's hands the last year, Christian McCaffrey's hands. Uh, you know, in, in Vegas, we saw Devontae Adams run more downfield routes and be targeted downfield more with Derek Carr than he ever was with Aaron Rodgers. You know, he was more of a short to intermediate, intermediate target. Um, but they did kind of build around what he does well or what he did well in San Francisco with, you know, bringing in Jacoby Myers and you would expect a healthy season from Hunter Renfro to go along with uh, – you know, Adams who can do it all. So I'm I'm just curious to see what that looks like, and if he is more aggressive, or they just kind of build their system around the, you know what he did in San Francisco, San Francisco, which was play high efficiency ball, but doing most of that in the short and intermediate range. Again, we're talking with Mike Clay from ESPN on Twitter at Mike Clay NFL here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. My man Demond's got one for you. Part of the grades comes down to positional importance, and we had a discussion on the show a few days ago about hey, you should rather take a cornerback that's an A in the draft rather than an interior defensive lineman that's a B, just because that's where your need is stronger. So, what is the importance of a shutdown corner in today's league? Yeah, I mean, there's not many of them that are consistently dominant each and every year, right? And that's why you'd see a team like the Dolphins, who uh, you know are pretty close to making a Super Bowl run, go out and acquire someone like Jalen Ramsey. It's why the Eagles prioritize bringing back James Bradbury uh, and Darius Slay in in lieu of you know some other uh, positional players and defense that they lost. So uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, having a number one that can cover, you know, man up against an opposing number one wide receiver is, is pretty huge. And, uh, you know, I think we've seen that kind of play out. You know, Dallas, obviously, another example of that. They went out and traded for Stephon Gilmore. Um, and, and the Jets are a team, you know, on the ascent. You know, there's a lot of chatter about Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, hitting on Toss Gardner last year, kind of to your point, right? you know, spending that early first-round pick on a potential difference-maker corner and hitting is huge, right? Uh, obviously, this day and age, we're seeing more passing than ever. We're seeing more three-wide receiver sets than ever more value on that wide receiver position. I mean, look at last year's offseason, all the trades during the draft, during free agency. Uh, it was chaos at that position, but teams are, are really valuing it, and it, it's showing to correlate with wins to an extent. So uh, if you can find a way to slow down that position, that, that's obviously uh, obviously massive. I know for the Raiders that they need help everywhere on the defensive <laughs> yes. side, but what do you think would be the biggest improvement? Maybe that it's too late to sign that guy in free agency, but that could help the team maybe in the draft if they could hit on this one position on defense. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, good to, that's a good question because, uh, as you see from the unit grade, they do have them uh, with, with quite a few weak spots. Um, you know, I think off-ball linebacker is one of them, but that's not one that's super important this day and age. You do – Kind of want to focus more on uh, you know defensive line or or corner. You know I think they're in decent shape at safety as well. So um, they you know they're they're attacking corner in free agency with kind of like mid pack options, right? You know Duke Shelley, David Long. We've seen Brandon Pichon, like guys like that are coming in as, as competition, but no real standout players. Uh, so I do view that as an as a need spot. Uh, obviously Nate Hobbs is terrific, but I think they need some some long term help behind him. 
Um, so maybe, you know, maybe it is interior defensive line, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think they're set there bringing back like Jerry Tillery, right? Like they have some, some major issues up front and, you know, that might not be the most important position on the defense, but we've seen high impact players, you know, destroy offenses up front. You know, you look at Javon Hargrave and the difference he made for the Philadelphia Eagles the last couple of years. And now he got that huge contract from the 49ers. Aaron Donald over the years, Chris Jones in Kansas City. There's a laundry list of players that can really disrupt up front. So uh, I'd like to see them address that position first and foremost, I think, other than other than quarter, I guess. Something that was surprising to me about your list was the offensive line of 2.3. And for me, C's get degrees. So I wasn't complaining <laughs> about that because some people, when you think about the Raiders' offensive line, it's, oh, man, the offensive line, they need they need to get better at it. But from what you see from the offensive line, it seems that they're middle of the road and not that bad. Yeah, and a big part of that is that they hit on a left tackle. I mean, that's a super important position. A lot of teams are, are pretty satisfactory at that position, but uh, I think the Raiders are one of the best. Colton Miller was outstanding, no matter what metric you look at last season. Uh, you know, it looked like, you know, the year prior he had some work to do as a run blocker, but really picked that up, and we saw that in, in Josh Jacobs' success, of course. But uh, just across the board, terrific. So they found himself a franchise player on the left side. Uh, and then they, you know, speaking of the left side, Dylan Parham looks like he was a hit. He was solid. Uh, you know, we'll see if he ascends a little bit in his second season, but I think it's safe to consider him an, an average left guard. Same thing at center with Andre James. We'll see what they do at, uh, at, at right guard. I think for now that's, that's a, a solid position, um, for them. And then right tackle is obviously the big question mark. I have Brandon Parker filled in there right now. Didn't play last season. We'll see if they try to address that. If you improve right tackle, though, I think you have an above average offensive line so uh again not not perfect yet but progress right this is we've been picking them apart uh for the offensive line for years now and it seems like there's some side of life here you like to see that yeah no it looks like it's getting a little bit better and again i thought the offensive line was really going to be bad last season and and like demon said basically uh, a c you know it came out basically to be an average sure. offensive line but josh jacobs did a heck of a job again we're talking with mike clay here on radio nation radio 920 unnecessary roughness you know you mentioned dylan parham and he did a really good job as a rookie do you think at some point his end-all be-all position might end up being center uh, well, I mean, right now I think they're, they're – well, I mean, you guys know better than me, I guess, but I think they're probably satisfied with Andre James inside for now. You know, mm-hmm. I, I guess if they decide that they want to put Grassu or they draft a guard or something and want to move that James out of there, maybe that changes. But um, for now, I have Parham ticketed at left guard. I thought he was solid, we'll say. Again, speaking of C averages, right, we'll give him a C, I guess. Maybe you give him a better grade since he was a third-round rookie, right? You can kind of uh, – uh, you know, bump them up a grade level just because it's so hard for rookies to come into the league and be good and, and generally see a year two uh, boost in production. But, um, you know, TBD, I think, though, that they have themselves a solid interior offensive lineman. Yeah, no, it, it looks like it looks like he could be a really good player for some years to come and has the versatility that GM Dave Ziegler has been looking oh, yeah. for. Uh, again, we're talking with Mike Clay here on Radio Nation Radio 920. I want to flip back over to the defensive side of things real quick. It looks like that they're going to really try to get some difference makers in the draft. We've already talked about interior alignment. We've already talked about cornerback position. How dangerous of a game, and maybe it's not even a game, but how dangerous is it to have a lot of you know emphasis on the rookie class that's going to be coming in to be your heavy lifters on the defensive side of things, just in case they don't all pan out well i mean that might be good uh, a couple of years from now right, I don't know. I don't know right. If it's going to help uh in 2023 we've seen teams do that right get a kind of aggressive uh in the draft and have a lot of guys play right away and it takes some time for them to develop but it, it can work out i mean you look at carolina remember the first year when they changed yeah. coaching staff is fast all of their picks were defense uh and they weren't very good that first year but those guys kind of came along and we're seeing them emerge into a better defense 
you know, another team is Miami. You know, they're a team that spent a ton of early picks, the first-round picks, on defense. And, again, they didn't do much. They haven't been a great defense, but you've seen them last year start to come on. And this year, uh, as you can see in the integrate, that's a rank really high. They might have the best defense on paper in the NFL with guys like Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips and obviously they traded for Bradley Chubb, but Jerome Baker's come along. Uh, you know, Davian Howard years ago was a good hit. Uh, you know, Javon Holland was a hit. I mean, they have a lot of guys that they spent early draft capital on, and it's taken some time. But now it's all coming together. You fill the blanks with some free agent pieces, and suddenly you have yourself a dominant defense. I remember Jacksonville. Remember when they made that run to the AFC Championship? Yeah, yep. Uh, what was it, like six, seven years ago? Same kind of thing. They did the same kind of thing, uh, and, and it can work. So I, it, I don't know if it helps this year for the Raiders if they right. go that route, but uh, maybe in a couple of years it finally gets them back to having a dominant defense. We all know that you don't win the Super Bowl in March, but what team has impressed you what? the most? You don't? No, I know, man. Some people are surprised. <laughs> Raider, Raider that, Nation thinks you do. That first week, <laughs> hey, why didn't we sign that guy? Why didn't we sign this guy? But what team has impressed you with some of the moves that they made in free agency that you do think that those players are going to be a good fit for those teams? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, that's the, the feedback I get on this a lot is like, oh, yeah, they're good on paper, but it doesn't matter until they're on the field. Like, yeah, we know. We know people. We know that. Uh, obviously, we're we kind of, you know, we're, whatever. <laughs> you're, if you're playing fantasy or you're betting or you just want to know where your team stands, what you're, if you want to buy season tickets or not, whatever it may be, you know, it's fun to look at. Just have an idea which teams look good, which, team, which teams don't. Like, we know uh, we got to win it on the field. But, um, yeah, look, there, I think there's a, a few of those teams. Uh, I think the Jets, obviously, have made some, some good moves. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Aaron Rodgers being on that team. And including that, I think that's obviously going to be huge for them. They have to hit on... Uh, the quarterback position, they still have some work to do on defense and, and along the offensive line, but uh, I would say them. I mentioned the Miami Dolphins. That was obviously, uh, you know, some of the pieces they did, including Ramsey, David Long, those were big for Miami. I think if they have a healthy Tua, uh, they're going to be in good shape. And you know what? I'll say, uh, you know, I think Dallas, you know, they had some voice, and I think they've done a pretty good job addressing them. Their offensive line is still good. They bring in Brandon Cooks, which is another – uh, fantastic target at receiver. They move on from Zeke, which is going to open up some draft capital. So, uh, obviously, Stephon Gilmore, I mentioned him. They're still strong at safety. So, uh, there's, a, there's a variety of teams that have uh, certainly improved, um, and I think those are a few at the top of the unit grades that are going to be you know, contenders here in 2023. Something that I did want to ask you about, when it comes to fantasy, we see that the Raiders, they traded away Darren Waller, and he was mostly used as a Y last season for them. He really doesn't fit Josh McDaniel's system. But do you do think in this system, we've seen Gronk, Gronk before, that if they can nail that tight end position, that he can be more than just a blocking tight end? Uh, you're saying Waller? Oh no no! Excuse me. The, if the Raiders if the Raiders are to draft a tight end, how do you think that they can oh, use yeah. that guy in their system? Because apparently Waller wasn't so much as what they were looking for, just as a receiving option. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's going to be interesting to see because this draft is loaded with tight ends, right? So they take one in the first round. We could see three or four tight ends go in the first round. There's a couple more that could go in the second round. Um, and you, you know, the thing is, it just kind of. It's kind of a, a cop-out answer, but it depends how they develop because, you know, tight ends don't really do much as rookies, right? So if they do draft one of those guys, it's going to be a guy playing probably half the snaps and be 60% of the snaps, usually blocking, not seeing many targets. We just don't see those guys flourish until year two, three. Sometimes it's even later than that. So um, I don't think that they're going to throw to the tight end nearly as often, which, again, is, is you know, kind of obvious, right? You have Austin Hooper there, O.J. Howard, and perhaps a – a rookie or as the top three this season, um, I think that that's by design, right? Like to your point, I think that they're going to 
hone in on Adams, Myers, and Renfro. They're going to soak up most of the targets, and that's how they're going to build the offense. And then you utilize, you know, the tight ends as, you know, move players or, or blockers. Obviously, Jacob Johnson's still on the roster, completing fullback. I, you know, plenty of plenty for him to still have heavy sets, but I think they're going to build around focusing their targets on those three guys and probably Josh Jacobs out of the backfield. Obviously, they, they threw to him a lot last season. Mike, as we wrap this up, and I know we're talking about the, the unit grades and the, the guide that you put out, it's always fantastic work. Just kind of want to know your thoughts on the upcoming draft and the quarterbacks that are at the top. Is there any of those quarterbacks, the, the four guys, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, any of those guys really intrigue you as, yeah, that's a, that's a no doubt about it franchise quarterback for years to come? <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky class, right? I mean, yeah. there's rumors C.J. Stroud could go number one. He's super impressive uh, as a passer, has the accuracy, he has the arm, has the size. Bryce Young is atop my board. I do have him at number one. Obviously, the size is the only knock. The efficiency at Alabama was fantastic. Um, you know, I was kind of impressed by, by Will Levis. You know, he's fourth on my board, but I thought he threw really well at the combine. I was kind of impressed by him for a guy that had uh, accuracy concerns uh, at the collegiate level at Kentucky, but um, you know he's a little older than some of the other guys as well, which is why I think he'll be the fourth guy off the board. But obviously the big wild card, you know Anthony Richardson. I mean, what an athlete! Just crushed at the combine. I mean, who four four three at two hundred forty four pounds is just out of this world. We know that at the very least he's going to be able to add a ton of value with his legs. The question is, can he make that sort of Josh Allen like leap in the accuracy department? Right? You know, Allen remember really struggled with that in college. Uh, fixed up his footwork. Got a little older, uh, got more, you know, uh, in tune with the NFL game and improved a lot in his third year. It might take some time, uh, but if Richardson can be an, even an average thrower with his athleticism, the sky is the limit. So, uh, I, you know, I, I have a young Stroud, Richardson, Levis. That's my top four, but I have no idea who's going to go first overall. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is wide open. It's going to be a really a lot of fun to follow. Yeah, it really will. It's going to be so intriguing. And so, uh, yeah, we're all here for the ride, Mike. That's what they do in the NFL, right? They make sure we get on the ride and we don't get off because, <laughs> well, it's so exciting. Well, fantastic stuff as always, Mike. We definitely appreciate you. I know you just put out your uh, your unit guide. What uh, what else are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, just working on uh, that stuff and early projections for this season. So, you know, I do a lot of fantasy work at ESPN.com. We have, you know, rankings up. We have a lot of content coming. Uh, we'll be popping on on all the shows on SportsCenter and that in the coming weeks and, and kind of releasing our early rankings to get everybody ready to go. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, drafts right around the corner. Yeah, there you go. And, and we can never forget that uh, Prison Mike is biased against your favorite team. We always got to remember that <laughs> yeah, as <yeah>. well. <laughs> always. Always. Hey, Mike, we appreciate you. Great stuff, my man. You got it. Take care, fellas. Boy, oh boy. Good stuff right there. Mike Clay, ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Clay NFL. And I'll tell you what, uh, great stuff from Mike. And I love, uh, you know, deep diving and even the stuff that I'm not, uh, you know, uh, an expert in, like the analytical side of things. Like Mike Clay likes to deep dive. It's one thing to do that. And then it's another thing to be talking to Mike, hearing great information, and then also watching a great basketball game at the same time. And uh, we finally got our stu- our TV in studio, so Devon's watching along. I'm watching in the home studio. And, man, right now Utah is up 63-62 over LSU with about 27 seconds left, and LSU's got the ball. Pretty incredible stuff. 421 is the time. We'll take a quick break, come back. We'll get some calls and texts, and then we got Carolina T coming up at 430, talk a little UFC action. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Ten seconds is left to go in this game. This is incredible. This is looking like a classic in the Sweet 16 Greenville region in the women's side of things. 
The number two seed, Utah, going up against the number three seed, LSU. Right now, LSU is up 64-63 with 10 seconds left, and it's Utah's ball. <laughs> this is incredible. Everyone and their mother has fouled out of this game. It's been a very physical game. It's been very just wild and crazy, and it looks like, oh, my gosh. I don't, there's 4.7 seconds left. I don't know what's going on. Damon, how wild is this game? <laughs> oh, it's wild. You mentioned how everybody and their mothers fouled out. I thought that that was a foul right there. I think they did just call a foul. I think Reese just fouled out, too. You hate she to just, see it. Wow. She just, yeah, she fouled out. That's the best player that they have. What about that jacket Mulkey's wearing? Oh, yeah. Kim, <laughs> Kim Mulkey is put on for the city, boy. Kim Mulkey has never been ashamed of uh, wearing a fancy outfit, but this is really, I think this took the took the cake today. I don't know if she was uh, getting her Mardi Gras on or what she was doing. I don't know what the... On the replay, I think it's a clean block. It is a clean block. Oh, uh, uh, she got a little risk. Okay. No, she got some risk. The zoom, okay. But when you're talking about the last five seconds of a game, well, I mean, you got to call it what you got to call it. So, boy, oh, boy. So now Utah is going to go to the free throw line, shoot a pair. They're down one. And, oh, and she shot an air ball. The first shot was an air ball. Oh. I can't make this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. I can't make this stuff up. Oh, man, that's like one of those Buffalo Wild Wings put the call in right there. <laughs> 75% for the season, and you airball the first one? That's called that's called tightening up in the pressure moment. Yeah. That's what that's called. I could have said it differently if I wasn't on uh-huh. the radio, but that's what that was. She airballed the first one and missed the second one. Ooh. And I think – Jump ball? Oh, I think uh, LSU is going to escape with a victory. Wow. Wow. They miss both free throws. She airballs the first one. She misses the second one. It rolls around the rim, and there's a scrum for it. And LSU comes down with it. I don't know if they call timeout or if they just got fouled. I don't know what the case is, but there's 2.9 seconds. DeMond, this is wild. Like, this is the thing about March Madness. And this is what people don't know. I normally wouldn't be all hyped up over an LSU-Utah women's basketball game, but it's March. And you know that it's all on the line. And these games all of a sudden become personal. These games all of a sudden become just like drag out, knock out slug matches. And that's what this one's been the whole time as I've been watching throughout the course of the show. It's just been personal. I mean, this, there is no love loss now between Utah and LSU. I don't know what their history was before, but I'll tell you what their history will be after. <laughs> their history after is going to be no joke. And then the winner of this goes on to play Miami and Destiny Harden. Yeah. Man, she's been great this season, too. So I've been following the women's tournament. And, man, this is – I can't wait to see who, who Miami gets to play and whoever wins this one. Right. And Miami has also the – what's their name? The Cavender Twins? Yeah. They, uh, they came from Fresno State, and uh, they struck it rich on the NIL deal for them, and they've done really well at, uh, in Miami. So uh, it's so intriguing, man. When you're, when you're talking about playing for championships, it just makes it so much more fun. So uh, this has been a fun game, really been entertaining. Again, 64-63, Utah has a couple of players already in tears. The coach has their arm around her, already crying. I mean, this is – look, they play all year long. Was that the one that missed the free throw? Yeah, that's her. Yeah, that, oh, I, hate, I mean, and I hate that for anyone. I, I mean, look, someone's got to lose, someone's got to win. But that she had that moment at the line, and she missed both with that air ball. That's going to haunt her for a while. Let's go out to the phone lines real quick. we got Carolina T coming up in a minute. Uh, 702-365-9200. Who we got up, Damon? Bernard. Bernard, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, I was watching the game too, man. It, it, the, game is, the game is amazing. <laughs> ain't nothing like it. Ain't nothing right? like it, man. Crazy. Hey, real quick. I don't know who called Big Taper a, a, a hater, 
but a Raider hater. But when he said the Raiders ain't really thinking about winning, I think that, that touched a lot of people the wrong way. Because when you got Devontae Adams and Max Crosby on your team, you got to be thinking about winning. We've seen teams every year, what they say, half the teams that made the playoffs, you know, the year, one yeah. year, the next year, half of them don't. So anything can happen. So it ain't like the Raiders are, are that, that far off. But uh, we know team, uh, football is the ultimate team uh, sport. Cues, I want to ask you this. When you build out a team, right, when, when, when you get a, a good quarterback, they say, okay, you got to build up the line, or you got to mm-hmm. get him a number one receiver. <clears throat> it seems like we've done that on the offensive side of the ball. So our best player on defense is Max Crosby. Mm-hmm. So what player you think would complement him the best, you know, a, a D lineman, an edge, or, or a top corner? And I know we need more than, you know, one defensive player. Right. But what, what, what type of player you think would complement, you know, his skills you know, to the fullest, because he obviously he needs some help. Because you got, we say it all the time. We got Max in, and you them, know, and who else? <laughs> yeah, yeah him. So what, what <laughs> you think would compliment him the most? I, I know Jalen Carter obviously would, but you know, let's take him out the picture just because of the circumstances. But after that, you know, what what type of player? And just put like two players you think that they should go at that would compliment uh, Max Crosby the most? Because I think a lineman and a cornerback he kind of goes hand in hand. If you got good yeah. coverage, it gives your lineman more time to get to the uh, quarterback. And on the opposite, it's same. Same difference. You rushing the quarterback, your defensive back can make plays. So I just kind of wanted you guys' thoughts on that. You're yours in, Demond. All right, appreciate you, Bernard. Great call, man. And yeah, and that's kind of our discussion we were having the other day, right? Because again, I believe as much as I love defensive backs, and I always say DBs win games. They don't win games without the guys up front, but the guys up front don't win without the guys on the back end. So I think that to compliment Max Crosby the best at this stage of the game right now, I think you need to have an interior guy that can help collapse the pocket. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I think you need to have that interior guy, but I do think you need to have an alpha on the outside. Right? I don't know what corner that is, but I think you have to have alpha. Right? You've got to have um, – I don't care if it's Gonzalez. I don't care if it's Witherspoon. I don't care if it's some guy that we're not naming. You've got to have a guy that has the stones to say, I got that cat. Right? Like my dad said, I play that cat defense. You got that cat. I got that cat. He ain't catching nothing. Well, he ain't catching nothing because I know Max Crosby's going to get to him, but Max Crosby knows that I got the stones to be able to hold this guy down. So, I mean, I, it's, it's kind of a cop-out to the answer, but – uh, or the question, but a D tackle is needed. Uh, a guy that can rush the passer as well, collapse the pocket, and 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 provide some some kind of uh, you know pressure on the quarterback. But you also need help in the secondary, and I don't really care what order they get it in. They just got to get it. All right, Q. Let me reframe the question a little bit because this is where my mind immediately went. Okay. Would you rather have, let's say, an a uh, Pro Bowl level, close to All Pro level guy? Which position would you rather have it on the defense? If they can, if you can add another guy that's almost an All Pro level, like how Max is on the edge, where would you want that guy to be on the defense? Oh man! Because for I mean, me, I'm going corner. If you told me that they have a guy like he's a top five corner in the yeah, league, yeah, put that guy on this defense now, yeah, and figure the rest out. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm I, I can sign up for that. I'll take that because they haven't had that guy in a long time. They have not had that dude. They haven't had a guy that they can legit point out and say, that's our best corner and he's going to lock this dude up. They haven't had him. And, and I, I know that you've got to work from the inside out. You've got to get the trenches. I, I get it. I get it. But they do, like Bernard said, and like we've been saying for a while now, go hand in hand. Thank you so much for the call. I do appreciate you. we got some more texts we'll get to. But first, coming up next, Carolina Teague, ESPN 97.5, plus League of Her Own podcast. She'll talk a little UFC action with us. It's Radio Nation Radio. And believe it or not, this game's still not over. There's still two seconds, and there's still a three-point lead for LSU. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. And it's a wrap, finally. (laughs) Longest 10 seconds ever. 
But LSU pulled it off, 66-63. They punched their ticket to the Elite Eight, and it's the first time in a long time LSU on the women's side of things has been in the Elite Eight, but Coach Kim Mulkey has guided them to that spot. So congratulations to LSU and hell of a game, and you got to tip your cap to Utah as well because they really challenged them in a major way. Joining us now on the phone lines is our good friend from San Antonio. It's Carolina Teague, ESPN 97.5. That's in Houston, League of Her Own Podcast. She holds all that down. And Carolina, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We do appreciate you. And wanted to have you on to talk about that sit-down interview that you had with Holly Holm as, as getting ready for a UFC fight night that's taking place in San Antonio. And Holly is no spring chicken, but she's still out there fighting. She's squabbing. That's something that you uh, brought up in the interview. Again, you did a great job on it. Uh, what was it like sitting down with someone like her? And I mean, she's a legend, and uh, she's just kind of doing her thing still at, at her age. What was that whole conversation like for you? It was a really good conversation, actually. Thanks for having me. Holly Holm being in the room with me, it felt, the energy felt like really calm. And if you guys didn't know that she was an 18-time boxing champion, an <laughs> international boxing hall of fame inductee, a former UFC champion, and a number three women's bantamweight, you would never know that she was like that because she's so humble. And she just speaks just very down to earth. And that's the vibe that I got from her. And I can see why she has such a big fan base because she's just down to earth. I loved it. You know, and one of the things that stood out to me was when you were talking to her about, well, you know, hey, you're, you know, you're, you're 41 and you didn't say it in a disrespectful way, but it was just like, you know, you're 41. How do you feel going up against all these, you know, young fighters? And she was like, whatever, you know, hey, I was young and I was fighting the older ones. Now I'm older. I'm fighting the young ones. Like, it doesn't matter. I mean, what, what does it take for someone to be in that type of shape and be able to fight the young people like you were, you know, alluding to at her age and still be able to dominate? She's favored in this upcoming fight. Well, she was saying that, you know, she has this passion and she has this drive and she's not ready to give up fighting yet. She just, it was just announced yesterday that she signed a six fight deal with the UFC. So that means she probably is going to fight for a couple more years. So we're going to see her as one of the oldest women to fight in the UFC. And in order for her to maintain her tip top shape, she just stays focused. She knows what her passion is. She's not ready to quit. And she says she still has that fire burning from within. So I, I give major props to her for being able to be 41 years old and still ready to beat people up at this age. Yeah, that's exactly what she said, too. She's ready to beat people up at that age. Carolina Teague is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. Go ahead, Damon. I got to ask, did she talk about the Ronda Rousey knockout? Because when you're a part of history like that, one of the biggest wins of your career, you know, happened in that moment. What it is like to find that passion, as you say, to keep going when you already reached the mountaintop once before? Well, according to her, we didn't really deep dive into the Ronda Rousey thing because I feel like people always ask her about that. So I wanted to ask her, you know, was that your pinnacle and what did you get out of that? And she did say that was the pinnacle of her career. And her career has been a lot of adversity and overcoming things and being an underdog. And so she said, you know, what drives her is being an underdog. She was the underdog in the Ronda Rousey fight. She was negative nine or she was a, a 900 underdog. And she, you know, ended up coming out on top. Then she had bouts where she was knocked out cold and was kicked back to the, the bottom again. So that drive of being the underdog keeps her motivated to continue to keep going. So it's not necessarily that win, um, but it's being the underdog. She also mentioned, too, that winning is kind of like a high, like a drug. 
she alluded it to a drug. And when you win, your whole whole team around you feels like they're winners too. And so you want to continue to win because they feel that same high that you do. And then when you have the losses, people start becoming down like a drug. So it, it's kind of like an up and down thing, success, especially for her. Something else I want to ask you about, got to talk about the card UFC in San Antonio, and people can watch that on ESPN this Saturday. The main event, Cheeto Vera versus Corey Sanhagen. How important is it for this card in San Antonio to be headlined by a Latino fighter? I mean, it, it's important for it to be headlined by a Latino fighter, but the main thing that people are speaking about is the fact that the UFC is even here in San Antonio. San Antonio is a huge city for fighters. So is Las Vegas. Uh, but San Antonio, I think, is like a close second. And for the UFC to be down here in San Antonio, the only thing that I wish for is for a sold-out crowd, and that's exactly what they have. And originally, it wasn't supposed to be Chito to be in the main event. They were originally supposed to have the main event in Las Vegas, but it was supposed to be Raquel Pennington and Irene Aldana. But what happened was, because the crowd was going to be so small in Vegas, they decided to Easy. switch to... The San Antonio headliner. So it was, it was, yeah, exactly. So the switch was made, and we're very excited as a city to have the UFC come down here. And I was begging the UFC team. I was like, can y'all please come back? You know, please. And I, <laughs> hasn't I, even happened yet. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. It hasn't even happened yet. I know. I, it hadn't even happened yet. But I was like begging them already to come back. Like, yeah. And we were like, please come back. We will come back. We will cover you guys as best as we can. We just want y'all back in San Antonio because. San Antonio is a fighting city, and the UFC is uh, the creme de la creme, so we're excited. You, you, you're a territorial one, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Man, she up here talking about uh, the hoop squad, you know, when, the, when they were playing in the Alamo Dome and playing football there, and football needs to be there. Man, you want everything. You're greedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, all we have is basketball. So, you know, we don't have anything. So we're kind of, you know, I came off as a little bit desperate when I was talking to the UFC team. But think about it. I mean, you guys have the Raiders. You guys have UNLV. I mean, I, mean, I know they're not the greatest. You guys, have, uh, you guys have hockey. You guys have the Aces who just won a championship. You guys have a lot of things there, um, boxing, UFC. And then when you come to San Antonio, all you have is the Spurs and they're tanking. So if I come off as desperate and greedy – it's because I am. <laughs> I mean, you guys got the River Walk. You got yeah. the Selena Bridge. I mean, what else do you want? <laughs> no, no. I'm tired of going to the River Walk. I'm tired of getting in the boat and looking at all the hotels. I'm tired of, I'm tired of going to the Selena Bridge and, and eating Raspas, okay? I want to go to the fights, and I want to go, you know, enjoy a football team for once. There you life, go. So I'm excited. Well, it sounds like you're taking it all in. So let me ask you about when the UFC gets to town. Have you been going to those events, the the, the media day, the press conferences, the weigh-ins? Have you been soaking it all in with the UFC in town? So I didn't get to go because, you know what, you know, I got to pay my own bills over here. So I got <laughs> a, a, another job that I got to do. But I did get to go see, I did go to the hotel where they were holding all the press conferences and media day and stuff like that. And it was very, very similar to uh, Radio Row, but like, like a ten percent of that. It was, but you saw all the UFC fighters there. You saw, you know, ESPN was there, and they, 
it was a really beautiful setup for the UFC. It was just very exciting, and I'm really excited for them to be here. So as far as this whole, you know, UFC fight night, you know, I mean, there's obviously, you know, Holly is going to be uh, one that everyone's focused in on. But, I mean, just what else is your big focus? Like, what are you looking forward to the most when it comes to the fight night? I'm looking forward to a great a great fight period. I want to see somebody get knocked out cold. I want to see blood. I want to <laughs> see sweat. I want to see tears. I want to see the crowd go crazy. I just want to soak in the moment and just enjoy the fact that the UFC has been here. I think that they it said it's been about over a decade maybe since the UFC has been down here. Yeah. Uh, something like that nature. So I'm ready to see, you know, people get knocked out. I want to see Holly Holm be able to come back because she said the judges messed up her decision at the last fight she had several months ago against Caitlin Vieira. So I want her to win. I'm rooting for her. And I also want to see, uh, even though Chito is headlining, Dan Hagen is the favorite, so we'll see how it goes. Well, when it comes to, you know, the the, the judges, I, I never, I mean, I don't care if it's boxing, I don't care if it's UFC, I don't care what it is. If there's judges involved, I don't trust them. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like Holly's just got to knock someone out or someone's, whatever fight it is, they've got to knock them out because the judges, you just never know what they're looking for. You know I mean? It just feels like the criteria is always different. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to knock someone out, in my opinion. You know what? You took the words right out of her mouth because she told me that exact same thing in the interview. She felt like the judges got it wrong because if you look at her stat card, she was the clear winner. But she didn't get that moment. She got the split decision, and she has to go for the knockout because she wants to give the judges a reason to give her that win. And as far as judges and not trusting people is concerned, I'm right there with you. I don't trust judges. I don't trust refs. I don't trust promoters sometimes. Sometimes they're janky, too. So, you know, it's yeah, sometimes you just have to knock people out cold in order to get that win that you're looking for. So with Holly, if she gets this win on Saturday, when you talk to her, is she ready to face Amanda again if she gets that title shot, if she gets the win on Saturday? I mean, she did say that. She alluded to, because I was doing one word, give me one word when you when you hear these names. And when I said Amanda Nunez's name, she was like, I... You know, I'm ready to take take a title from her. So, like she basically said, she has a six-card fight. She's rooting for the title, and that's her goal. So I'm excited for her. Where where was that interview as far as, like, you know, on your list of the ones that you've interviewed? Obviously, you interviewed a lot of folks on Radio Row at the Super Bowl, but just as far as, you know, just, you know, you getting that sit-down one-on-one opportunity with Holly Holm. It, I, I've got to be easily in my top five interviews of all time, and the reason why is because, you know, I, I, you know, with the grace of you guys, you know, allowing me to cover the Super Bowl on behalf of Las Vegas Sports Network, and you guys have been so kind and gracious to me, I was able to build a relationship with the UFC and solidify the sit-down with Holly Holm. And it took a while for me to get that to happen, but it meant a lot to me because it was for my own personal podcast, League of Our Own. And it meant a lot to me, um, but... At the end of the day, I really felt like Rachel Nichols. Everybody's calling me the San Antonio Rachel <laughs> Nichols because I got this interview. So that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> there you go. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. There could be a lot of uh, worse things that people could be calling you these days, right? I mean, we <laughs> yes. we know we know that get down. We know how I it need goes. to move to San Antonio because I'm not getting that. I'm I'm the small fish in a big pond here in Vegas. <laughs> San Antonio, you get well, the you exclusive. Know. No, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to be, well, no, actually, you know what? No cap. Like, uh, there was a lot of news outlets there, but we, we treated this like she was a queen. Like, we had our setup looking 
like royalty. I mean, our setup was easily the best setup because we were so hungry for this interview. We wanted them to know that we were serious about this interview. So I think when it comes to interviews, if you guys lock them in, you got to look like you're the most serious. Don't go up there with your camera phone and, a, and an iPod stand like I normally do, or don't go in with one camera and a light. You got to do the whole enchilada if you want to make it look serious. So that's kind of the vibe we were going for. I wanted to look like Barbara Walters. I wanted to look like one of those people. So, you know, it, it worked out in my favor. And, and yeah, you should come down here, Damon. We got to do something together. There you go. There you go. And, and look, that's the approach that we took on Radio Row. Like, it's got to it's you got to be about it, right? You got to be about it, about yeah. it, because it, it's a rat race. As you very well found out, Damon found out. I've been knowing now for a while. It's a rat <laughs> race, and you got a couple seconds to prove why you're the best, and the other radio station is not. Well, good stuff. Uh, it's great. Congratulations on that interview. I thought it was really good stuff, and uh, it's going to be interesting and, and fun. UFC fight nights there in San Antonio. Uh, what's coming up on League of Our Own podcast? You do it every week. You drop it every week. What do you uh, What do you got coming up, or who do you got coming up on the show? You know, I did some little things for Showtime or whatever. I'm really hoping that they, you know, pull through with what I did for them. We'll see what happens. I, I, I just do things, and I'll let it go. And if it comes around, it comes around. So I got a couple of things coming up, and, you know, just stay tuned to League of Our Own podcast every Wednesday at 645. Boom, there it is, and that's uh, 6.45, that'd be uh, Central Time, so depending on where you're listening from, uh, make sure you tune in there. If it's Pacific Time, it's 4.45. But uh, great stuff as always. We definitely appreciate you. Thanks so much. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys, for having me. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Appreciate you. There she goes. Carolina Teague, ESPN 97.5, League of Her Own Podcast, UFC Fight Night Action right there. And I thought that was a big deal, man. Holly Holm getting that interview and sit down, and she mentioned Rachel Nichols, and that's that's kind of what the interview looked like, right? Almost looked like uh, being on the set of uh, old school uh, NBA, whatever the show was called on ESPN. I forget what it was called that she used to be on, but it almost looked like that. Yeah, the jump. That's right. Uh, she, but she did a hell of a job on that, so uh, you got to give her a lot of credit. And that's, again, Damon, I say it all the time. It's going back to relationships that you build, right? What I tell you at the Super Bowl, build all the relationships you can because they'll come back to help you, and boom, that's a perfect example right there. 4.50 is the time. We'll come back, close out the show, send you into the weekend the right way. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Just got a few more minutes left in today's show. Got a few more minutes left in this week here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Fantastic show. Vic Tafer, Ted Wynn, Jason Horowitz, Mike Clay, and just close things out with Carolina Teague as our guest on the show today. We'll get one quick call in before we wrap up. 702-365-9200. We got Raider Rad, I believe. Raider Rad, welcome to the show. Raider Red. Raider Red, Raider Rad, my bad. Rad, Red, Red, Rad. My fault. <laughs> I know. Hey, I just wanted to call and respond to your question in regards to um, if I prefer to have a pro bowler on the defensive side, where would I prefer that pro, uh, pro bowler to be? I'd prefer him to be on the defensive line. Okay. I even prefer him over a uh, defensive back, and here is why. The, the, the point of it all is to put enough pressure on the quarterback so that he makes um, poor decisions. Right. He's rushed into throwing the ball. So a defensive linemen can make a defensive back look a lot better. Very rarely is it gonna, a defensive back going to make a, uh, a defensive lineman look better. It's, you have Kyler Murray back there running around for five seconds. Deion Sanders is not going to cover this guy, okay? Two, two and a half, three seconds, you know, a, a defensive back can cover someone for that. And a D lineman, uh, a quality D lineman is going to not be redirected off of his initial move and he's going to get to the quarterback and make that 
um, quarterbacks make a poor decision. See, for defensive backs, everything is measured in milliseconds, you know, um, a tenth of a second, a hundredth of a second. That's the difference between a completion, a tackle, a, 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 a pass defense, or even an interception. And a, de- a, a quality defensive lineman can do that for you. Um, very rarely is a defensive back going to make a D lineman look great. But a D lineman can always make a D defensive back look great. And when that defensive back gets that interception, they're going to talk about that defensive back over and over and over again. And then hopefully at some point in time, someone's going to point out the fact that the D lineman got in there and made the quarterback make a uh, poor decision. Yeah, no, hey, great call. And you're not wrong. Again, I, I, I agree. And I, I think that I would probably lean a little bit more to they help each other. I um, mean, there are such things as coverage sacks, right? There's been such thing as called coverage sacks. We talk about them a lot. There's not too often that you're, you, you hear about, uh, you know, a, 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 a sack that's not a coverage sack. Like, they work together really well. But I understand, and that's why I think that the Raiders need to address all those areas, right? So if I had to pick one, I'd prefer to have – of all pro guy in the D line, an all pro guy in the secondary, an all pro guy in the line. Like I would love to have an all pro in all different positions, but I understand what you're talking about, and I do think that the pressure on the quarterback is massive. You've got, you definitely have to have that, but I do think that they go hand in hand. And so, if you have all pros on the defensive side of the ball, you can figure it out and you can make it work. And to your point about Kyler Murray, everybody ain't running around for five or six seconds either. Everybody ain't Kyler Murray. I mean, there's only one or two. I mean, like Patrick Mahomes makes things happen, uh, you know, for a while. But even that is is very difficult to do what Kyler Murray did. That was just embarrassing what he was able to do versus Silver and Black. But thank you so much for that call, my man. I appreciate you. Great way to finish off the week. And we did get a couple texts, matter of fact, three of them from the same number, 925, uh, saying RIP to JV from the doghouse that Highway 4 traffic will never be the same. And thank you for that text. I was going to close the show out this way anyway. Uh, JV from Wild 94.9, The Doghouse. I know we have a lot of people that listen to the, to the show from the Bay Area. I grew up on Wild 94.9. I grew up working at Wild 94.9 as a member of the party crew uh, while he was there uh, with The Doghouse, Elvis, him, uh, JV, Hollywood, Big Joe. They were all there uh, doing the morning show, and, and that was a must-listen to uh, you know, radio. He was he was fantastic. It really kind of shaped my whole radio life, right? I mean, my guy Victor Zaragoza is my is my dude. Like that's my that's my uh, my my best friend just about when it comes to uh, radio. But uh, JV was a guy that everyone looked up to, and I don't care who you were, it was everybody looked up to him in radio because he was so stinking talented. Uh, it was just confirmed just uh, the other day, Wednesday, I believe. That he, uh, you know, that he is no longer with us, um, and I don't need to get into the details. But uh, he's been missing since last month, and he's no longer around. So uh, I just want to show a lot of love to uh, JV's family, his wife Natasha, uh, all the radio family that he had, all the listeners of Wild Ninety Four Nine, the Doghouse, because I know that there were so many of them. And again, uh, he was a guy that I very much respected and always looked up to. And he didn't even know that I looked up to him. He didn't know how many people looked up to him, but he was a guy that I'd be leaving the club at two in the morning and walking through the halls at. Wild 94.9, he'd be in there preparing for the morning show at 2 in the morning as the show didn't start till 5, but he'd be in there working his tail off. So, uh, yeah, much much love and respect to JV's family and, and Natasha, his wife. Uh, you know, rest in peace, JV. Uh, he is He's a legend, and he'll always be a legend, and we'll never forget him. So uh, that's how we'll wrap up today's show and the weekend as well. So have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday from the owners' meetings in Phoenix. This is Rare Nation Radio 920. That's the sound of the 2023 Chevy Silverado's turbo high output engine. 
delivering impressive power with no compromise durability. Whether you're helping friends move or just moving some friends, this is the sound of a family with plenty of rear seat room to enjoy the ride. And this is the sound of you heading to your local Chevy dealer today. Find your Silverado and find new roads. Chevrolet. See your Southern Nevada Chevy dealers. I'm little Timmy. I'm a tax person. I know numbers. Good. You wouldn't let